Welcome to the Hear Me Out CC podcast, a show where you'll hear from inspiring people in and around the deaf community and from your host, Ahmed Khalifa. Hey, what's up, everyone? This is your host, Ahmed Khalifa, episode two of Hear Me Out CC podcast. And it's going to be a fun one today because I'm going to be interviewing Amy Rowe, who is a really cool entrepreneur who built her own businesses with such a cool background and interesting stories, some powerful stories as well. And she has offered to share really cool, useful tips and advice for not just those who are in a deaf community, but also those in the hearing world as well. Just do something that can help both sides of a party and to make the most of everyone's life as well. So really cool interview. I hope you stick around and let's get straight into it right now. Okay, well, Amy, thank you for coming to the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm really excited. I've been thinking about, you know, what to ask you because there's so many things I want to ask you after just having a little sneaky look online about what you've been doing, all the blog posts you've been writing. So many things to cover. But Mm -hmm. I just want to start off with, let's talk about your, the background of your hearing journey as I like or hearing loss journey whatever way you want to put up you know and uh what's it give me about your background the challenges mm-hmm. that you had you grew up and kind of how did you overcome it just uh, that kind of story really okay so I was I was born deaf um um when I'll I'll actually give you for the for anyone who's this has taken me absolutely ages to get my head around so I'm going to give you the full title of my loss I never remember this. So I've got this written down on my um, letter from the NHS. Bear with me. It's a bilateral symmetrical mild to moderate sensu. I can't say this word. Sensio <laughs> See how bad this is. Sensoneural hearing loss. And um, wow. right, yeah, a bit of a mouthful. But what that means is that I've got somewhere um, from birth some damage sustained in the in my inner ear. It could be the hairs, it could be the nerve. I, I don't, I don't know any more than that. Um, and it was um, the only reason I was diagnosed is because my older brother um, has no hearing actually in his left ear, I believe. And um, my mum suspected I had the same problem. But um, I'm 44 now, so this all kicked off in the 80s, early 90s, and my mum was convinced that my brother had a uh had a problem because um while the the sort of uh, health professionals were like no 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 he's just being rude he's not it's it's not that he can't hear you when you're shouting at him. Well, he was shout- I'm sure she was shouting at him <laughs> but but four years old wasn't he wasn't turning around uh, um when she spoke to him he wasn't showing any sign of having heard what she was saying unless she was in front of him and she just knew that something was up. So when he was diagnosed after, and that I think was a bit of a battle actually, because they just didn't really believe her. And back then, and, and I'm sure you'll have the same experience um, on the NHS, the testing um, wasn't what it is today. Eventually he was diagnosed with, he's got no loss, uh, sorry, no um, hearing in one ear, the left one, and, and, a, and a partial loss in the right and it was after that that they said, okay, let's let's bring the other one in. And they found out that I had my, I'm not going to say it again. <laughs> um, um, I'm not as deaf as my brother. I want to make that really clear because um, 
we always have an argument about who's um, deafer than the other. Wow. Um, it's an argument only we can have. Um, so, and he, he'll be listening to this. So, just Richard, in case you're listening, um, I, I, yeah, you're worse than me. Um, <laughs> so, um, but anyway, we. Um, it, so that happened when I was about, I think, six. By the time that, that happened, and I was given over the. I had hearing aids in both ears. Um, and I think talking about, I think it was very obvious when I was growing up, less obvious now in my adult life because, um, because of a lot of things that I can go into later, but I found it very difficult at school, um, because there's so many reasons why school is difficult, not least because you're trying to hide it. There is something, um, not perfect about you um but also the fact that school environments um are very difficult to hear in um i don't know whether you'll remember but when you're in an exam hall or a classroom the acoustics are awful so i remember just always struggling um at school and i don't think i participated as well as i could have done i used to read or I used to basically read all the time. I still do. Um, but I would read, um, my books before I went in and then after the lesson and kind of catch up then in my own time. But during the lesson, I found it really hard to listen to teachers, particularly as they turn their face to the wall, um, but or the board, but my teachers knew there was something wrong, obviously. Um, and I did have somebody, um, in, every few months from the NHS that would check up on me um, from audiology and she'd um, check my hearing aids were okay and check that I was okay. So the support was definitely there. And I even had a, um, oh, this is terrible. I can't remember the name of it. Those huge uh, hearing loop given to me. I don't know whether you had one of these, but this one would go around my neck and it was the size of a book. (laughs) (laughs) So there I was really trying to be as cool as possible age 12 (laughs) and they were like here you go this this will make you really obvious um so uh yeah I sat there with this and then and then I kept on being told you've got to sit in front of class because if you don't nobody will be able to you won't be able to listen but I didn't want to sit at the front of the class um because the cool kids sat at the back not not that I was cool ever um but you still try (laughs) Um, so there, uh, eventually what started to happen sort of as I got older was I completely abandoned the equipment they gave me. I hated it. I lost my hearing aids on a regular basis as well. That hasn't changed. Um, so easy to lose, but I, I think I did it with a willfulness that I don't have now. I couldn't stand them. I found them, uh, embarrassing. I didn't tell anyone that I had a hearing problem for the longest time. I even got to college and I don't think I told my teachers at that stage. I didn't have to. Um, so college, I think was a bit of a struggle, but I managed to get through. I did quite, you know, I did reason, I did reasonably well for someone that I don't, I don't think looking back, I heard half of my lessons. I got three B's in the end. And then I went to study drama in Hull university and drama is probably quite a strange um, choice in some ways for someone who struggles with hearing. And certainly there are lots of uh, issues I had um, with that, but we can talk about this later too. I also think that the hearing loss helped me develop 
my um, communication skills in ways beyond the hearing world, if you if you like. It makes you pay far more attention to body language, etc. So I loved uh, uh, doing drama. And actually, then I realized I really did need to start talking about it. And I did need to have help. So I had a note taker in the lecture halls because, quite frankly, lecture halls in terms of acoustics were even worse and far more people. Um, and that was really helpful. Um, yeah, so that's I'm taking you through my educational history. But then I went into the world of work. I don't know whether I feel like I've been talking for ages. Sorry. <laughs> it's interesting. No, it's OK, because I find myself nodding my head as you were talking about it. I'm thinking, yep, I've been there. Yep. I want to hide it. Yep, didn't talk about it. And even though you have all the challenges, you still hide it. And you still don't talk about it. And here we are now, you know, actually on record talking about it and kind of like <laughs> admitting it to the world as well, which is something that I never thought I would do when I was in high school, primary school, even university as well. No. So that's why I found myself, you know, it's very true. And it's also important for people to understand that it does happen, but you might not know it. It happens in the background, but there's a reason why we feel or we felt that way. And it's not like, you know, we don't want help. We did, but it's just a case of like kind of embarrassed to ask for help at that time. Um, at least mm. in my situation anyway. But you're right. Over time, the, the support was there. You know, parents were helpful, all these things and trying to help whatever they can. But, you know, there were circumstances where you didn't want to for example, take extra lessons or you didn't want to sit in the front of a class and all that kind of stuff. And definitely in the big assembly room hall where the echoey and, you know, people shouting in that room and you're trying to ha- mm. find out what are they saying, you're not going to ask him to repeat again because it's going to repeat the problem. So, oh, social, social death. Oh, Unbelievable. It's unbelievable. <laughs> so it's, it's just interesting. And that's why I was asking you, because I think it's important that people get an idea of that background and, you know, what it led to. And, uh, and of course, it has an impact on people around us. And that's why it was interesting that you said about your brother. And I don't have that competition like you guys about who's different <laughs> than who. Um, I'm the only one in my family <laughs> with my younger brother and younger sister. So... Um, I win, hands down. <laughs> but um, it sounds like from your situation um, that both your parents are hearing. Yes. And that means they will have, I'm guessing they, it must be quite challenging for them to kind of have to work out how to help both of the children, but with different type of hearing loss, isn't it? Yes. Um, my mama spoke about her then. She was um, there for most of the day to day because my parents divorced when I was quite young. So while my dad was really supportive, it was it really did fall to my mum to fight the battles. And those battles would be at school. There'd be my brother was very badly bullied, but I was bullied, too. But he was uh, yeah, subject to some awful bullying. And it was death specific bullying. It was like, you defo, um, I'm not going to swear. Some nasty stuff was said. There was absolutely no, I think it's different now in schools, I have to say, but there was no understanding of, um, there was no provision really for, for that type of, I think bullying in general in the 90s was probably a bit, um, I think it's a bit better today. 
I have to say. But anyway, yeah, so mum mum would be really supportive of me when I came home crying because someone said I was stupid. That happened a lot because I think that happens when people uh, assume that you haven't responded in the right way because you don't understand them. And I was too embarrassed to explain um, and I felt like it was a dirty secret. So mum would be at home bolstering my confidence. I'd come home crying. She'd say, you need to respond in this way. You need to tell people, Amy, as soon as you meet them, that you have a problem. And I was like, okay. And then she also introduced me to Deaf Club, which she thought would be um, really helpful. And these are, um, I think they had them all over the UK, and they probably still do, but set up by the councils um, in Birmingham where I grew up and uh, uh, they were just community-led kind of um, evenings where deaf children could get together. But I never identified myself as being deaf. Um, and I did the last thing I wanted to do at that age was hang out with a bunch of deaf people. And and it's something that, um, but yeah, I think I went twice and then I was like, Mum, please don't make me go back there. So um, <laughs> she was always doing everything she could. She also helped me with my um, funding application for university because, I, you know, you have to do a um, – you have to make a case for getting extra um, help, like the note taker. Um, so she said, don't do what you normally do, Amy, and say it's absolutely fine because I know you can pull it off, but we know you struggled at college this is the time you have to lay it on thick. Yeah. And that was the first time I realized there was a benefit to telling people that you didn't hear all that well. Wow. Interesting. And it's, I must say, she sounds like an amazing mum to help you. She, she is. All of that she way. Really is. It's amazing. I mean, again, I can um, completely understand where you're coming from. And, uh, yeah, you, your parents try to help you and say, you, you need to do this and you need to do that. But at the end of the day, it's difficult for them to understand your situation. And it's not their fault, but it's difficult for them to understand why you're saying no to all these things. We have our reasons in my mind. At that time, it made sense. Um, maybe looking back, it didn't make sense, but I guess how we kind of, you know, grew up in that sense as well. So you've gone through all that and, you know, gone through university and, if you, you know, gone to today, you're now looking after a couple of companies, which is pretty cool. Um, Focal Global and Mighty Money. You're very busy, clearly. <laughs> um, so just briefly, I mean, tell me about the two brands and what do they do and uh, what is your kind of day-to-day role with uh, both of them? Okay, so firstly, um, I'm actually I've taken a step back from Maldi Money because, as you say, it's extremely busy. So Maldi Money, um, in chronological order, came before Foco, um, but Maldi Money is a personal finance blog that I set up with a couple of other people um, a couple of years ago. My background is as a journalist. Um, didn't haven't re- really written for anyone that, that anyone would have heard of but kind of more trade trade magazines and so magazines for businesses um and my business partner um had written for a lot of the nationals anyway we had a we were kind of working in financial services pr at the same time we thought a lot of the 
content that's being delivered to um, millennials, sorry to use that word, um, about money was rubbish because it um, no, in, I, I couldn't see anyone really being inspired by a story that says um, five top ISAs you need to uh, open or, or reasons why you need to save. I mean, we felt like there was something massively missing and that what we wanted to do was tell real stories by real people. Um, and so the stories would be more about someone's divorce, somebody dying, real things that had happened and the financial impact that it had. Because it's generally not until we get to these um, pitfalls and things like that, 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 that normal people, and I say normal people because most people don't have stacks and stacks of cash. Um, it's generally these, these um, crisis points that they start thinking, you know, I need to get sorted. And that's when they go to Maori money or they, uh, yeah, so that, that that was the hope. It's been going for several years now. But uh, um, so while I'm still a co-founder and I'm really proud of it, I took a step back from that a year ago um, because um, so I'm not involved in the day-to-day running of it, but I sometimes still write for it um, because I set up a content marketing agency with um, with Michael Taggart, who also I work with on Maori Money. I think by then we kind of knew that we worked well together. Um, the content marketing agency is what I do basically day to day. Um, we run that from London um, and um, it's been a really challenging year in terms of learning all the stuff that comes with um, running a new business. Um, so not just, <laughs> it's not just about um, kind of uh, getting new business. It's also, um, you we got our first employees so um pensions and my god that's complicated so um yeah no that's that is why i I mainly focus on that but um yes landmark moment when you're trying to organize pension i know i know i haven't done that that yet wow is 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 definitely boring but you've got to do it oh of course of course i agree i agree at the moment i'm not in that situation with my day business, but um, wow, yeah, that sounds like a lot of work, I can imagine. <laughs> um, it's really interesting because, you know, something that I can, you know, relate to content marketing and, you know, that's why I'm doing this, recording the podcast. It's another form of content to share information, to help others and to provide a service, that kind of thing. But there is one particular content that you've written on uh, Mousy Money, which definitely resonated with me and it's about you know the true cost of living with hearing loss and again i was reading through it i found myself yep just nodding my head think yeah i've been there all that kind of stuff and i love how you kind of said things like you know maybe i could have been a prime minister if i sat in front (laughs) instead of a oh i don't know about that right now but yeah (laughs) it's written there actually maybe you know, yeah, yeah. I guess. This is before Brexit. <laughs> okay. okay, I'll give you that then. I'll give you that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I will I will link to it in the show notes so people can read it. And I definitely think people should read it. It's really, really interesting. But you talked about the challenges. And, you know, it's not just a challenge that we talked about in school and university. This is a whole new set of challenges when we are in our career. So what kind of challenges did you face? You know, when you're trying to build that career 
And um, you've mentioned that it may have held you held you back, but did it hold you back really? So what kind of challenges and, uh, you know, did it hold you back in a way? Right, I think broadly it would it could have. Um, I think obviously, as I say this, I, I, I have co-founded a business, so things aren't really that bad. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I, I did have a big, I'd say a chip on my shoulder for a few years uh, because my confidence was really bad in my 20s. Um, and I do think I could have gone a different way. See, my dream was always be, to be a features writer for the nationals and I love writing and that's all I wanted to do. Um, I got my first job in trade mags, but, um, I was too scared to apply for anything, anything at the nationals. Um, even when actually I, I did, I did land a couple of interviews, but I have to say I couldn't hear some of the interviewers and I didn't say I had a hearing problem. Because there was never the right time in the middle of, like, suddenly 10 minutes would go, we'd be 10 minutes in, I'd be trying to uh, do my best answering, you know, the questions that they throw at you. And then I would mishear something they've said. And I was in the really unfortunate position of going, sorry. And it just felt like I was immediately on the back foot. And I always used to say to myself, you've got to start saying it now. But in, in my heart of hearts, I was worried that um, I'm not anymore, by the way, but I was really worried that they wouldn't want someone on a new, in a newsroom doing interviews who couldn't hear very well. At this stage, I'd never met anyone who had a partial hearing loss working in media. Um, I now know one other person who does that, and she does very well. She's working for the FT, actually. But at that stage, I knew no one. And um, at that stage in my career, I didn't have a mentor either. So I was sort of bumbling along, I think, just feeling very low, with very low self-esteem, not hearing interviews properly. Um, while I was actually at work, um, I would be struggling in meetings. I would be struggling on those phone calls. You know, when you're having to talk to several people at once, um, uh, Skype sometimes is really difficult if your connection wasn't good. And there's just all sorts of things where I was, um, and also, sorry, jumping a bit, but early on in your career, you are much more likely to be asked to do things like take notes. And I wasn't, I did not feel like I was able, because I didn't want to be a diva, to say, you don't want me taking notes. Because I missed out whole bits I would just be like, I don't know what happened to this sentence. And and then after an hour, I was like, I'm tired. I You've spoken about this in your videos. It's very tiring when you're sat there trying to take notes or follow a conversation that's happening in a, in a loud room between eight people. Some of those people may be very clear, clearly spoken. Some of them, and probably more likely more, will be covering their, their mouths when they speak. They'll be looking down at their phones or rustling papers, and you've lost half a sentence. Been there, done that. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It, um, it's hard to, as you said, find the right time. And especially, it's like, you know when you, when you know someone, you talk to them, but you don't know their name, but you think it's too late to ask them for their name? Yeah. It's like that. Yeah. 
almost like that where you think, oh, time has gone so long that it's kind of almost too late to tell them that I can't hear very well. And, uh, yeah, I can understand meetings and phone calls and, oh, the even um, speaker phones, you know. Awful. Yeah, they're, they're not great. People think it's easier, but it's not always easier. But, yeah, I can definitely understand what you're saying. And I can understand why you're saying it held you back a little bit. But clearly, you've gone over these hurdles, you've gone through it, you persevered. And you're doing something, which is pretty cool. So, I guess, you know, in your mind, how did you persevere and how did you keep going? What was it inside you that said, you know what, I need to keep going and fight through it instead of get knocked down and don't bother? How did you do that? Well, I mentioned mentors earlier, but it was a combination between mentors and some very good bosses. Um... I was working in my last job in publishing before I moved over to content marketing. I was working um, for a place called CityWire. And the support that I got there, the just general lovely atmosphere that that people had, I, for the first time, felt like I could really be open about my lot, like the hearing loss. I also met the first journalist I'd ever met who also had um, a hearing difficulty. And we'd have a laugh about it. So it first of all kind of started to get to feel okay and something that I would be gently gently ribbed for, which which was fine. Um and I also moved into doing different stuff. I wasn't just doing interviews, so that helped. And it came about that at the same time as digital got really big and Facebook and all that stuff. And I actually found myself preferring digital content anyway and getting a bit geeky about um websites so I didn't mind taking a back step anyway with the interviews and I thought you know what Amy maybe you're not meant to be um hard-hitting journalist maybe your skills lie elsewhere that kind of happened like that but then um when I moved into PR and marketing um I my boss at the time who is now my business partner trivia for you um said Amy, I really think you could do with a mentor. And I thought that's something they did in America. And I was like, oh, that sounds really nah. I don't need a mentor. And I was like, that's so cringe, like talking about my career. Um, but um, the but yeah. I loved her, this lady who's quite high up. Uh, she's quite senior in PR in London and um, happened to be uh, the warmest, um, friendliest, uh, head screwed on completely kind of person you could meet and gave me lots of advice about. And it wasn't, it wasn't specifically disability related, to be honest. It was just having someone fight in my corner who wasn't, who I wasn't working with, giving me like a way of processing challenges at work and was there at the end of the day if I needed to fire off an email or speak to her on the phone. So I found that really, really helpful because also in my experience, if companies say they believe in um, giving you a mentor, what they quite often do is do a shortcut and they'll give you a mentor within the company. Mm. And I understand why they do that, but I don't think it's very, I don't think it works. I think you need someone outside the company that can support you. I think there is a movement for people 
um, who are um, who have disabilities to find someone who has a similar disability. But right now in the media, there just aren't that many of us. And I certainly didn't know any at that stage. Yeah, it's quite hard to find. I mean, especially for those who don't talk about it a lot. It's yeah. Even, it's even more difficult to find, especially <laughs> if you have these, you know, I quote, invisible disability. Yes, is, it is, yeah. You know, what we kind of have, if you don't wear your head in it, or if it's not that obvious, then it is invisible. So it's not really that obvious. So I can totally understand where you're coming from. Even for me, growing up, I didn't know a lot. Um, and it's hard to find, even if you look online and offline. Yeah, it's really, really hard to find. So I guess, you know, having the right people around you is pretty powerful. And it's just like the saying of you are the average of, you know, five people you spend the most time with, you know, it's kind of clearly kind of true in your case as well. So I quite like that. So then, you know, in, in that sense, here's the thing about there is a stigma about you know people with different kind of disabilities not just you know hearing loss but there's a stigma about you know having disabilities and also have a successful career and that's something that you've mentioned in your blog post about if you didn't have disability would you be even more successful would you you know be further up the ranking would you be a prime minister who knows you know as yeah. you mentioned um but for those who are in a similar situation where they thinking about the career but they also have any kind of disability you know what what advice would you have for those who want to build a career you know similar to yourself what advice would you say to them i think we're living in an age where it's never been easier to find people uh, to get advice from um so if you are looking for a career in whatever industry you will probably find somebody who face the same or, or similar challenges to you. So the first step, I think, was do some research and reach out. You found me on Twitter. There are so many people on Twitter that I that, that, that put something in their bio to suggest what disability they have or what cause they fight in. So I would say to anyone trying to get into an industry or move up the ladder, do some research and reach out because people do want to hear from you um, and they will want to help. So go take someone for a coffee and say, what can I do? Give me some advice. Um, and then you can also, uh, you will also kind of, um, what's the word? You will gel with them on the, on your shared experience as well as the fact that you're working in the same industry. Um, so that's one thing. Um, the second thing that I would say, and this this came easier for me because I was more senior, and it's very difficult to do this if you're if you're quite junior. So I appreciate that. But I started talking to my colleagues about, well, basically tips on how to communicate with me. And this came from one one um, day or several occasions actually where one particular colleague yelled across the room. She would do this with everybody, but she was yelling across the room. I'm there writing away. I can't hear anything. In fact, it faded into the background noise. It was very noisy. Eventually, somebody uh, next to me said, um, you're, you're being called from across the room. And I was enraged because I was so embarrassed. I was like, well, that just makes me look a bit dopey. And I've always had that. I've always felt dopey if I couldn't hear something and or, or on the back foot. And it's just something I just, I was like instantly embarrassed. So anyway, I decided, right, next week 
I am going to address the company, not in a confrontational way, but say, you might have noticed I, uh, I'm deaf. And it's, there's been several occasions where that would have been really obvious. Um, but I'd like to, to kind of talk to you about it and what things make it easier for me. And then I gave like a, I didn't go on for ages, I promise, but I gave them like five steps. I think it was something like five steps. One of, one of which was don't yell across the room ever again. Um, or I won't talk to you ever again. Um, uh, so don't, don't do that. Um, be aware that when we've got a meeting, this background noise, I really find it difficult because, um, I'm sure most people with hearing difficulties say the same thing. But, you know, things in an office like pulling your chair across the floor while someone's talking, not considerate, don't do it. Uh, third, everyone identifies with this. Don't talk with your hand in front of your mouth. Make sure that I can see your mouth. In fact, and I said, this is okay. If you're wanting to talk to me and I'm not paying attention for whatever reason, I'm looking elsewhere, you can tap me on the shoulder. I'd rather that than you talk. And then halfway through, realize, I don't know, because I'll only ask you to repeat it. I think there were two more, but I can't remember. Anyway, <laughs> I'm sure they never forgot it. <laughs> well, clearly, if you're saying to them, yeah, don't talk to me, or, or you know, you're not my friend anymore. Not, not like that. Not like that. Right, um, yeah. It's pretty brave, though. It's pretty brave to kind of send out almost like a company-wide email and say, right, you hear the situation. Oh, I didn't do it over email. I wouldn't have done that. I think this is a thing. I am quite comfortable speaking in front of people. Um, so I just I just got up in front of the meeting. But I have to say, my heart was pounding. Wow. Uh, and, and I also felt like, right, I'm going to be honest. I was like, they're just going to think, Amy's banging on about being deaf again. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I understand. But, but, yeah, yeah. But actually, I had really good feedback. Um, and I think if you if you if you go into these situations and you have the honest desire to try and help people help you, then they will see it for what it is. And nobody should be going away thinking that you are making a big deal or or trying to be confrontational, you know, because that, that's what I think a lot of people worry about when they make a big deal out of things. Yeah, very true. Lots of great tips. That's really cool, actually. And again, these little things like don't cover your mouth when you're speaking and little things that people think about or don't think about this yeah chair dragging across the floor while a conversation's going on yeah that that that's you gone i'm gone you know i'm like <laughs> yeah, i don't know what what the hell we're talking about and but you're right you're right and as for what you're saying about reaching out to other people twitter is great for that and it kind of for me personally allowed me to connect with people because they mention it in a bio and then you search for a specific keyword and you find them, mm. which is mm -hmm. uh, pretty cool. And also, speaking of Twitter and the bio, I've also noticed in your bio that you're also involved with Dev Kids International. And, uh, you know, so again, you're just doing a number of things. You're just so busy, which is quite cool. But um, just briefly, what is it? Um, who are they, Dev Kids International? And what is your role there as well? Okay, Deaf Kids, uh, amazing organization founded in 2014 by a chap called Steve Crump. Um, Steve used to work, um, he used to be in the army, uh, armed forces, and he lost his hearing through repeated gunfire. 
So um, he he signs now, etc. And then he moved. He couldn't work in the armed forces anymore, so he moved into international um, international relations. And um, it was through his work with various charities that he realised that even though a lot of the children's charities are working really hard in war-torn areas across the world, what they weren't doing was noticing the deaf children. The deaf children were going completely unnoticed, and they also were far more vulnerable than the other, other children um, for very obvious reasons. No one communicates with them. They don't have um, the equipment that they needed. Um, the, perhaps they're struggling with cultural um, differences in those areas where in some areas if you have a hearing difficulty or you're deaf, they see it as witchcraft and they burn you alive. So there's all sorts of stuff that he became really aware of and horrified by and so decided to set up Deaf Kids, which is a charity that works in loads of areas. It works in countries in Africa, Pakistan, Jamaica, and it sets up, depending on the needs of that particular community, it sets up um, different um, programs. And um, so they'll be, they might be training people on the ground, like training teachers to speak to kids, training teachers to learn to recognize the symptoms of sexual violence. Right, because that was happening a lot, um, and that's something that Steve and his team found that um, girls who were subject to abuse weren't able to talk about it because they actually didn't have language. So a lot of these programs, um, Steve and his team will be working to teach kids and their teachers sign language, and policemen and women, of course, policemen and women. Um, uh, so there's there's uh, so many things that they do. Um, I can't possibly go into all of them, but Steve got in touch with me through Twitter. Um, noticed I was starting to write a bit about hearing loss and he got in touch with me at a really good time because I was thinking, okay, I've written a lot about this now. I've been banging the drum a bit. I feel like I need to give something back. And, um, as cliche as, as that sounds, um, I really did. And so he, um, he got in touch with me about oh, maybe eight months ago. Um, and and um, what I'm doing with them, um, got the title of ambassador, but basically we are working, I'm working with the communications team to, to devise how Deaf Kids brings its message to the media and the world. Because obviously that's my expect, uh, expertise. So uh, watch this space. Well, I mean, it sounds like, I mean, even a small you know, example that you shared, that's powerful stuff, really powerful mm. stuff. And and you're right, you, they do get forgotten about it. And you know, the problem is, if they can't hear you, you can't hear them, how will they be noticed? And it makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. And I guess a lot of people don't think about that. So um, I'll mention that again in the show note, you know, do you link to the website so people can check them out. It's, it's amazing. You know, even hearing from yourself, I learned a little bit more after doing my own research, so it's pretty cool. Wow. Yeah. So, um, you know, we've covered quite a lot of things in here, so I guess we'll round it up with a few things that I thought, you know, some funny things, some crazy things, and uh, just from your own perspective. So I thought, let's round it up with a few questions, and you can, you know, be quite brief about it, I suppose, or you can elaborate a bit more. So, first question is, 
for me is, what's the worst thing people said to you about your hearing? You don't look deaf. Oh yeah, yeah, I've I've had. That. <laughs> like, I'm not sure what out. the definition of you're supposed to look in a certain way, but I was like, that that's incredibly insulting <laughs> for so many people. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm laughing about it, but it's like <laughs> I'm laughing because. I've heard it myself so many times. I'm like in disbelief, yeah. laughing in disbelief. Like, what the hell? Mm. Um, mm. On a side note, don't do that. Um, <laughs> what's, what's the worst thing about being deaf? The worst thing about it? Crap subtitles. No, seriously. Um, uh, missing that, out. Mi- oh, 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 actually, I have got one thing. Missing out on banter. Ah, yes. You go to, you know, night out, pub, restaurants, whatever, and it's a group of people, but you don't always hear all the jokes, so. Yeah, and no one ever repeats them, and by the time they do, because some of my friends are really sensitive now, they'll repeat them and you're like, oh, oh <laughs> <laughs> I just feel bad I even asked you to oh, repeat no. them. But yeah, okay, no, that's, that's true. Um, yep, we know as well. So... Let's turn it around then. What's, what's the best thing about being deaf? I think I've got, now got a superpower. Because ah. I, yeah, I feel like I know what someone's thinking or feeling through their body language. Very interesting. Very cool. Wow. Well, most of the time. I bet you do too. Well, it, it's true because, you know, when you don't use the tone of voice as much as other people, you look at other signals. Um, you're right, body language is like that. But I, I guess now that you mentioned it, I've never thought of it like that. So now you make me think. Um, and people are going to think, oh, no, he's judging me now. Um, <laughs> I won't do that. Um, very interesting. I like your answer. Really cool answer. So then um, what advice do you have? Uh, you've, you've answered it a few times, but let's just say, what's the best advice you have for hearing people when they are around deaf people? I know you've mentioned a few of them. So... If you if you have to pick one um, out of many, what would it be? Well, this is one that I've heard you say, and I totally agree with you. Volume isn't the problem here. Don't assume that by shouting once they've told you that they're deaf, that things they they'll heal you, or even that you won't offend them, because they probably won't hear you, and you probably will offend them. Um, yeah. uh, I, I think as though we're always going to have this challenge and I think that people who have a hearing loss need we need to be approaching a subject with as much humour and dignity as possible because um, you are always going to have people that make those that make those comments again and again and again and they are the same comments yeah. can you hear me now? can you hear me now? can you hear me now? it's like <laughs> <laughs> oh, so true. Um, yeah, but you're right. Volume is one thing. I, I mean, I've mentioned it a few times on my video on my website as well. Um, you find it in the show notes, the link to the website. But I've mentioned, you know, the best way to look at it about volume. If you are in a foreign country and they don't speak English, and you think shouting at them louder and slowly <laughs> in English will make them understand you, <laughs> it won't work. It's yeah. kind of the same concept, kind of. I'm not going to say exactly the same, but it's kind of the same idea. But you're right. Volume doesn't mean perfect clarity at all. Yes, yes. Not at all. 
Okay. So then the final question then is, you know, again, you've mentioned it anyway, but let's just, instead of focusing on career, in general life, what advice do you have for anyone who's living with hearing loss impairment, a different kind, in making the most out of their lives? I think they, you don't isolate yourself. Start talking to as many people as possible. Hearing people, deaf people, people in between. Don't, you're not an island. I was an island for a number of years and it's it's really no fun. You're not an island. I like that. Actually, it wasn't me that said that. I think it was Paul Simon. Oh, is it? Okay. <laughs> well, I, we'll take it anyway. <laughs> we'll take it. I like that. Um, either way, it's relevant. You're right. Don't be mm. alone in your own world. You can still connect with people. That's the idea. And any people. It doesn't matter who it is. Uh, mm. Yeah. Or not. doesn't matter. So I like that. Um Amy, I gotta thank you because um, even for me, I'm thinking like this is so good. I can, I mean, I think we can go on forever, but let's not because it just feels the longest <laughs> podcast in the history of podcasts. But yeah. um, I have to thank you for being here and also for sharing amazing stories, really, really cool stories, really amazing advice, and I think the listeners will get a lot out of it. So I must thank you for that. I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, and I'm really looking forward to hearing more stories from the podcast. Awesome stuff. I'll make sure I'll do that. No pressure at all. I'll make sure. So, uh, <laughs> so but um, no, I, I do appreciate it. So, uh, and uh, let's speak again soon, I hope. And uh, yeah, thank okay. you again. Take care. Bye bye. So, I hope you enjoyed the interview with Amy. She's a really cool person, and make sure you check out everything that she does in the show notes and uh, just to see what she's up to because it's really cool stuff as well. And I hope you really enjoyed it. And if you have, I'd really appreciate it if you can leave a review on iTunes. In the meantime, stay tuned for another interview on Hear Me Out CC podcast. Take care.